I don't know what you came to church to do this morning, but I came to praise Him. Amen. And and in as much as coming to hear the word of of the Lord is important, and it's an important important part of our our worship together, there's no substitute for it. But when we come into the presence of the Lord together, we come with something to give. Yes. And that's a sacrifice of praise. Amen. And so I'm excited for the times of refreshing that we experience in God's presence. And God is always good. Life can be hard, but God is good. Amen. Amen. I said God is good. And all the time. Come on, somebody. Amen. So uh, this morning, church, I just want to greet you all in the precious name of Jesus. Uh, It's so good to see all your friendly, happy faces. Uh, Warm welcome to all our visitors this morning. Feel at at ease in your Father's house. Amen. Amen. So uh, before we get into our message this morning, we are concluding with our series on the book of James. Uh, The title of our message is Faith Amidst Uncertainty because we are living in uncertain times. Uh, times that you can barely prepare for uh, but we'll get into the message in a short while and I'd like to have a family talk with you is that fine yes. can we have a family talk yes. um, I remember I think it was about maybe a year ago two years ago uh, I think it was, was it Cherise Cherise was uh, administrating our Facebook uh, a Facebook page and it was my birthday and then uh, she she put on the Facebook post to the father of the house and I'm like really? <laughs> <laughs> so one of my pastor friends called me and he says hey man you've graduated <laughs> uh, I kind of see myself more as a big brother to you guys amen, amen. maybe to the little kids you know some of them uh, after service or before service, they run up to me and they hug me and they really make me feel like a father, you know. <laughs> Maybe to the little kids, amen. But uh, we're going to have a family talk and uh, I've got some good news for you. It's good news. It may not be com- uh, comfortable news, but it's good news because it lets us know that we're hearing from God and that God is working for us. Amen. So at the conference... Uh, when we had conference, for those of you who are with us, um, the word of the Lord came out on the Sunday morning. And the word of the Lord was, you will not remain in this venue for too long. And it was uh, Brother Eldon over there that reminded us when we were faced with some circumstances over the last week or two, that this was what the Lord had spoken. Come on. And so it took us by no surprise that circumstances uh, met us the way they did and left us with kind of a a two-week span to arrange new facilities. And the good news is that we have two facilities that are prepared to accommodate us from the beginning of April. Because if it's God's business and if it's God's work, he funds it yeah. and he supports it. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. 
And so I don't want to be like the hen who lays the eggs and then starts chattering, you know, and chirping. But by Tuesday, once everything has been consolidated, we will communicate the new venue uh, to you guys. So keep your ear to the ground and we'll do the best we can to spread the word. But don't miss church Sunday coming. We will be here on Sunday uh, for the last time. And then come back to the Holy One in April, okay? So if you're here and you and, 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 and you part of this family talk, just remember, we are not going to be here from the first Sunday of April. The new venue we have our heart on is a beautiful facility, beautiful kids area. Oh, it's going to make such nice photos. Oh. <laughs> it's really a comfortable setting. Uh, for those of you who are in the Florida Discovery uh, area, it's about worst case scenario about 11 kilometers from you okay for those of you like myself it's way unfortunately a bit further out maybe about 15 uh, kilometers out and unfortunately for our family in the rings of country estate uh, <laughs> they are traveling yonder uh, but there's a scripture I want to read for you. It's in Numbers 10. Moses spoke these words to Hobab, who was a Midianite, the son of Reuel. And he said to him, we are setting to a place. We are setting out to a place which, which the Lord has spoken and said, I will give to you. Come with us and we will do you good. For the Lord has promised good concerning, I'm just going to add for emphasis, rebirth. Come with us and we will do you good. We're not perfect. There's no perfect church. If you find one, don't join it. You'll spoil it. Come with us and we will do you good. For the Lord has spoken good concerning rebirth. Amen. And right now as you sit here, you are sitting in the fulfillment of what God has spoken throughout the years. For those of you who have been part of our partnership classes, you know our history. God has spoken good concerning us and where he's taking rebirth and in a couple of years we are actually if everything works out uh, with uh, with the new venue we are uh, going to be uh, occupying there's a possibility if god wills that we would be able to purchase the property okay uh, lovely um, lovely owners uh, we kind of uh, fell in love with them um, the moment we, we, we met them. Also very important uh, to note that the shuttle services will be running as usual okay, uh, to the new venue, so don't be alarmed. Amen. And um, in the beginning stages of church life, uh, this is normal, um, normal for church to go, uh, to go through these kind of movements from location to location. Um, I remember Pastor Israel here when he preached at our, our conference, he mentioned that, you know, the system, uh, the way the world system is rigged up, it's very anti-Christ and anti-church. Uh, and so, uh, if you listen to uh, Pastor Clinton's uh, exhortation earlier, he made reference to the fact that the church in, and the gospel in general is going through persecution. And it might surprise you, and I want to just kind of support what he said, the church right now, to your, to your knowledge or not, is going through more persecution than it's ever faced before. Yeah. 
there are people, uh, it, it was estimated 1,700 plus, this was in 2020, 1,700 plus people were dying for the gospel every day. Every day. Millions. We fortunately are in a comfortable situation in South Africa. That's why we should continue to pray for the peace of our leaders and, and peace of our country. That the gospel can just go out um, as it should. Uh, but there's just something about persecution and, and rough times that really gets the gospel going. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So trials and troubles must come. In fact, the Bible says if anyone wants to live a godly life, you must suffer persecution. Okay, so uh, that's what I wanted to share with you this morning. Um, normally when, when a church moves from location to location, uh, some people do filter out. But my encouragement to you is that if you are a partner with this church and with the gospel, and uh, if you believe God has planted you here at Rebirth, come with us. Yeah. And we will do you good. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's get into the Word of God. Turn with me to James chapter 4. Amen. We are in the book of James. After the book of Hebrews. If you are seeing Leviticus, <laughs> Revelation, Samuel, please come and see me after the service for the laying on of hands. James chapter 4, when you're there, please give me a loud amen. amen. And let's read from verses 11. Verses 11 reads as follows Do not speak evil. Of one another brethren he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law but if you judge the law you are not a doer of the law but a judge there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy who are able to judge who, who are you to judge another come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows how to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Amen. Can we pray, Father? Thank you for your sweet presence in this place. We thank you for the times of refreshing that come from your presence. We love being in your presence. We love hearing your word. We do know that there is a measure of accountability that we are faced with every time we hear your word. 
Every time we hear your word, we come under responsibility not to be hearers only, but to be doers of your word. And so, Lord, I pray you speak to our hearts. You confront us on our nature and issues and challenges. And most importantly, Lord, you will convict us and change us, transform our minds, transform our hearts. And anoint me, Lord, as I will speak your word, to speak as you will have me to speak this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church says, Amen, amen and Amen. We are dealing with faith amidst uncertainty. And just as a quick recap and review of the journey we've taken from James, it's important for us to understand that if we are people of faith, if we are believers, if we believe in the gospel, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be met with tests and trials. Nobody is exempt from trials. Nobody is exempt from pressure. Nobody is exempt from trouble. Your faith must come under pressure. Anything that is precious, and your faith is precious to God, anything that is precious must be tested as gold is tested as silver is tested as precious stones are tested faith is not exempt faith is precious to god it must come to the fiery trials of life and god permits these trials and god allows these trials to bring us to a place of maturity and often he allows these trials to discipline us and to chastise us because what parent does not chastise or discipline their children for their disobedience? And so those whom the Lord loves, he chastises. And so it's important for us to understand the dealings of God in our lives when he is testing us to bring us to maturity and when he is chastising us for our disobedience. We looked at James chapter 1, who was the author of James, and it, it came to our attention that the author of the letter of James was James, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he opens up his letter to the church that was scattered in the Roman world, and he says, James, the bond servant of the Lord, he does not use his connections and his credentials as an elder at the council of Jerusalem. He does not reference himself as the Lord Jesus Christ, but he wants us foremostly to know that he is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ because there is no higher calling than to be a servant of Christ. In fact, there was one preacher who addressed another preacher. Well, he used to be a preacher and he left he left the calling of God to pursue politics. And this is not the case with everyone. But this man had a call to be a preacher and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this preacher friend approached him and said, Why did you stoop down to become president? Because God will reward you for what you call to do and not for what you are just doing. And so James lets us know that God is looking not particularly for volunteers, he's looking for servants. Because a volunteer oftentimes gets to choose the terms of their service. But a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Here's that old instruction from Mary at the wedding of Cana. Whatever he says to you to do, do it. And that's the posture of a servant. And James says that our testing of our faith must produce, the tests we go through against our faith must produce patience. Patience is not a passive word. Patience must not be associated with standing in a queue at home affairs. No, patience in the Greek comes from the term eupomeno, which means to have the capacity and endurance to endure a heavy load of pressure. And so, the reason and the purpose behind why we go through tests and trials is so that we develop endurance. The Bible says, run the race with patience. Run with patience. How do you run slowly? No, run with endurance. Because he who endures to the end will be saved. It's not how you start. It's how you end the race. And the Bible says the testing of our faith produces patience. And when patience has had its full work, full effect, when patience has come to full blossom, we are left mature and perfect, lacking nothing. And James lets us know that God is really invested in our maturity. That God is invested in developing our characters. In other words, he's more interested in developing your character than providing you with comfort. He'd rather have you holy than happy. God is not invested in your happiness. He's invested in your holiness and in your maturity. We went on to see last week that Faith must be accompanied with works. There must be corresponding action and fruit and work that meets your faith. We saw that James, when he wrote to the let, uh, his letter to the church that was scattered in the Roman world, that he echoed the, the, the teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Between Matthew 5 and Matthew 27, Jesus uh, you know, spoke and taught extensively for over two chapters of teachings about how to live uh, the blessed, God-filled life. James makes 22 allusions, 22 verses that allude to the Sermon on the Mount. And so this told us that James, even though he was a late bloomer and late believer, he sat down under the teachings of Jesus. We looked at James chapter 1 through to James chapter 5. And we looked at how James deals with the subject of faith. In chapter 1, he to told us and, in and informed us that faith must be tested. Faith will be tested. And when we meet uh, trials and testing, we must meet them with joy. Consider it all joy when you are faced with various trials and, and troubles. We meet our tests and trials with joy, not because the process is joyful, but because the outcome is intended for our good. Because the Bible says we know that all things work together for the good 
of those who love the Lord. So I might not look like somebody now. Yeah. Might not look like I'm going to make it now. Yeah. But don't judge me for my process. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Judge me for where God is taking me. He tells us again in James chapter 1 that when we ask of God in the midst of our trials, we must ask in faith. Don't ask doubting. He said anyone who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And he goes on to say that the double-minded and unstable man in his ways will, must not even suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. If you're haltering between two opinions and you're unstable in all your, your, your faith and belief in God and you move every time there are deviations in life, don't assume to receive anything from God because your faith must be anchored amidst the uncertainties and trials and vicissitudes of life. In James chapter 2, he unfolds and unravels this idea and concept of faith. He said, not only will your faith be tested, not only must you ask and pray in faith believing, he says, you must not hold the faith with partiality. Don't hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. Don't favor the rich over the poor. Don't favor the white over the black. Don't favor the colored over the Chinese. You must show no discrimination between color, between social standing, between political affiliations. And if I support Liverpool and you support Man United, there should be no partiality between us. Come on now. So he says, when you hold on to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ in one hand. Don't hold favoritism and partiality and racism in one hand. Because scientifically spoken, there is only one race. And that's the human race. Amen. And so he tells us and he commands the church that when, when you deal with people, don't show partiality. Is when you do show partiality and discrimination, you do two things. Firstly, you violate the golden law and command of faith and of Jesus. And what is that golden law? You shall love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your might, with all your, your mind and strength. And, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And upon this, this command of love hangs all the law. You fulfill all the law and commands of God if you fulfill those two things. The command to love God and to love people. So when you discriminate, when you show favoritism, when you show partiality, you violate the golden law of God and his word. Secondly, he says, you dishonor and disgrace your neighbor. Then in chapter 5, he tells us about the prayer of faith. That the prayer of faith heals the sick. That when you're sick, you should call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint you and let them pray for you. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick because God is still in the healing business. Amen. Amen. Yesterday, today and forever, he has 
not changed. And then we saw in James chapter 4 how he ties all these concepts of faith together. And he lays his heart bare on the subject of faith. And he says, brethren, what good is it if you say you have faith and have no works? And three times in chapter 4, he says, if you don't have faith with works, your faith cannot save you, your faith is dead, your faith cannot justify you. And in context of James chapter 4, James tells us, in a nutshell, what Paul is telling us in Galatians 5 or 6. He says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith works through love. Faith works through love. And so he says, when a brother or a sister is in need and naked and destitute and in need of food, don't just say, God bless you. God will make a way. No. He says, be practical about your faith and show love. Show love. And he's telling us in a nutshell that faith must be accompanied with love. Faith works through love. Faith is the action. And love is the motivation so behind every act of faith for God and and for yourself there, there must exist the motivation of love amen, amen. are you still with me family yes. and so when you read through the book of James it is not difficult to trace and pick up that the church has faced with trials and testing that's without. The church, as we saw last week, is faced with poverty because a famine invaded the world that Agabus in Acts chapter 11 prophesied of. And so a famine scourged the land. And this was a difficult time uh, for the ancient world. And not only were they dealing with famine, they were dealing with persecution from the Roman Empire. And so James sees the trouble that is outside. But he's more concerned about the trouble that's inside. Because it's not the water outside the ship that sinks the ship. It's the water inside the boat. And inside the ship that sinks the ship. That's why as a married couple or as a family, it doesn't matter what you go through. Just don't allow it to break up the unified front. The husband and the wife must be unified. The home must be standing and anchored in their faith. You can face a recession. You can face financial difficulties. But as long as there's no divide in the home, you will come out strong. Amen. 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 So in in James chapter 1, he sets the stage for our passage in chapter 4. He tells us in verse 26 and 7, he says, If anyone among you thinks he's religious or righteous and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives himself 
and his faith and religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God is this, to visit the widows and the orphans in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So he tells us we must give consideration for the most disadvantaged in the community. At that time it was the widows and it was the orphans. He says if you want to be religious, if you want to show some external evidence of your faith and your belief in Jesus that you are a Christian, you must do these two things. Show love and compassion to those who are the most disadvantaged. Uh, disenfranchised of society those who are in trouble show kindness and keep yourself pure keep yourself pure and unspotted from the world uh, just a side note team did you fill out the code of conduct yes. Yes. amen hallelujah team give me an amen, amen. <laughs> we've got to keep ourselves unspotted from the world because friendship with the world is enmity with God and so he tells us in chapter 2, don't hold the faith of Jesus with partiality. Don't show discrimination. Watch how you treat people. You must demonstrate the love of God. And then in chapter 3, he deals with two issues. Two issues, if you overlook chapter 3, the first issue James deals with is the subject of the tongue. And in chapter 1, verse 19, he gave us a cue for chapter 3 because he was going to deal extensively and comprehensively with the issue of the tongue. But in chapter 1, verse 9, from the very beginning, he tells us we should be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to rot. So he tells us from the word go and cues us that you be quick to hear, eager to listen, and slow to to speak and my grandmama always used to tell me you have two ears and one mouth so you should do more listening than speaking your mouth should not be on automatic <laughs> you should think first before you speak and so he tells us that we should be quick to hear and slow to speak so he prepares us for chapter 3 where he begins to deal with the issue of that little member in our body. It's, it's the littlest of member that causes so much destruction. It can be used to be a blessing and it can be used as a means of destruction. And he tells us this is an unruly member. This little member boasts great things. He calls it a fire. He calls it a world of iniquity. The tongue, that little member, is a world, a universe of iniquity. And it's difficult to tame, he tells us, it's a deadly poison. And it was Bruce Walter who said, a fool's tongue is long enough to cut his own throat. And so out of the mouth, we often bless God and curse man. And so James is seeing this issue and dilemma and disease in the church, in the early church. And he's saying that we must bridle our tongue. We must sanctify our tongue. Because if we, if we have unruly tongues and we slander and we gossip and, and we are vulgar, this will do so much destruction and harm to the body of Christ. And this will reveal your maturity. And so he tells us that if you fail 
to bridle your tongue. You are harming the body as a little fire ignites an entire forest. And then we get to chapter 3 verse 1. That puts into perspective why he told the church. He said, brethren, and he's speaking to the church at that time. He says, brethren, don't let many of you become teachers. Don't become teachers. For knowing that you shall receive stricter judgment. In other words, you guys have been mishandling your words and your tongue is so unpre... Not many of you become teachers, please. No. The ministry of the teacher must be reserved for those who know how to wield their weapon. And so he says, don't assume this place of authority because an unbridled tongue is a tool of destruction. So Jesus said in Matthew 12, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so words and the, and the way and manner in which we use our tongue is only a reflection of the condition of our hearts. James, secondly, in chapter 3, deals with the issue of the heart. And he terms it worldly wisdom. He says that we should in meekness embrace wisdom and wisdom must demonstrate self-control and wisdom is peaceable and is from above and wisdom must be seen in our daily conduct. And then we get to chapter 4. Chapter 4 is where James gets to deal now with the fruit of the tongue. And he starts addressing the fruit that the tongue has been producing. And so in chapter 1, you'll see him address fights and quarrels. And he says, brethren, there's been fights and quarrels amongst you as believers. And so by the use of their tongue and words and conversations, they have been getting into a lot of, a lot of quarrels and a lot of bickering and a lot of a lot of fighting, and if there's anything that I avoid, it's quarrels. I know how I barely escaped them in my home. <laughs> but the moment I see the sign, the moment I see quarrels on the horizon, I keep my mouth quiet and I let you be, I let you be right. You can be as wrong as wrong can be, but I let you be right. I let, I let you believe you won the, the and you made the point, and you, and you won the, the argument. Because silence is never more golden than when a quarrel is brewing. <laughs> Proverbs 20 verse 3 says, It is honorable for a man to stop strife, since any fool can start a quarrel. When I see Christians quarreling, it is such a sign of immaturity. Quarreling on Facebook, debating about tithing, not tithing, uh, rapture, no rapture. You know? Gaten McKenzie and Jacob Zuma and Cyril and, and I see all this quarreling going on and at least I, I, I just, ah, I can even unfriend you. <laughs> so, they, so they've been getting into a lot of quarrels because they haven't learned, they haven't been mature enough to know how to harness their mouth. 
And every time you get into a quarrel, you ask yourself, have I tamed this beast the tongue? In verse 11, he deals with another fruit of the tongue. He says, you've been speaking ill of each other. And in the Greek, it carries two nuances. Firstly, you've been slandering each other. Secondly, you've been falsely accusing each other. And when you look at slander and false accusation, they are very close. And we're not going to get into the distinction. But what slander and accusation seeks to accomplish is damage someone's reputation. To defamate their character. To vilify them and make them like a villain in front of the eyes of people. To put yourself in the right and to put someone else in the wrong. And we've got to be very careful and cautious about how we treat people, even when they are in the wrong. And so James is basically saying in a nutshell, stop cursing people, stop judging people, stop spreading rumors. Wait till you have all the facts. Wait till you've spoken to the people. Stop writing people off. And the moment you start to judge your sister and judge your brother in this manner, you are setting yourself up against the word of God. Period. Jesus warned us in Matthew 7, he said, Judge, not least you be judged. For with the same judgment you deal out, you will be judged. With the same measure you use, the same scoop you use, the same scoop's going to be made back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? And you do not consider the plank in your own eye. And how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, there's a plank in your own eye. Remove first the plank from your own eye that you may see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And it always boggles me how the brother who is an alcoholic condemns the brother who is fornicating. <laughs> the woman who's caught up in gossip is scundering about the man who's jolling. First remove the speck or the plank. Let, first remove that from your life first. Because if you are going to assume the role of a lawgiver, you must be compliant with the law. And so James says, let not any of you judge your brother or your sister because the moment you do, you assume the role of God. And he says, there's only one lawgiver and it's not you. Breaking the law of God means that you not only have judged your brother and not only that you violated the law, but you've assumed the role of God. And God is saying, that is my seat. Yeah. And only I qualify to sit on that throne. And so James deals with the issue of quarrels. He deals with bickering. He deals with speaking ill of each other. And he goes on lastly in chapter, chapter 4 to deal with the issue of boasting. And you'll be surprised how the arrogant can boast. 
And James now turns his attention from those who are going through trials and, and, and those who are, who are dealing with various issues uh, in, in the church, leaders in the church. He now turns his attention to the Christian businessmen, the merchants, who are boasting in their arrogance. In verse 13, James says, Come now, you who say. He turns the attention and in the vernacular language he, he, he says come now we're like come I'm calling for your attention you who are saying today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a place and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a, a profit and so the important thing to note here is who he's addressing because God is not against you making money he's not against you generating a profit or having a desire to make a living no he's not against you starting up a small business enterprise no he's a, he's dealing with an attitude yeah. of the heart and he's a dealing with those who are boastful and arrogant and who've neglected the needs of people and so he's making sure that that their agenda and their business does not outstrip their devotion to God. So he addresses these merchants. Again, you'll see he uses the same language in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, come now, just as he said in chapter 4, verse 13, come now. He says, come now, you rich. And so he's addressing those who are well off and, and, and pursuing business, enterprise. And he says, you are caught up in your business. And he says, you think you have the winning formula. You say to yourself, I will go tomorrow to such and such a place. You make your plans, you do your forecasting, you make sure that you are journeying and you're traveling to financial hubs or industries of trade. You have everything mapped out. You have your temporary accommodation planned and set up. And it seems like there's always sufficient time for you to do business and make profits. And you always have plans and expectations to turn a profit. And it's amazing what lengths many will go for profit and business. It's equally amazing and surprising what lengths men and women won't go in their devotion to God. And so he says, you boastful businessmen, come and listen to me. He says, you boast in your arrogance. The first thing you are guilty of is boasting. He says, you're always speaking about yourself. You're always speaking about how great you are and about how accomplished you are. And you become, in a sense, a God to yourself. But in becoming a God to yourself, you become a devil to others. Not only have you become boastful, but he says you are boastful in your arrogance. And pride is the only disease known to man that will make everyone sick except the person who has it. And God says, I hate pride. I will exalt the humble, but I will resist the proud. I hate the look of pride because a man wrapped up in himself, in God's eyes, is a small package. 
lastly he says in chapter 4 verse 17 he's still speaking to these merchants he says therefore you who know how to do good and does it not to him it is still sin in other words you thought by ignoring the needs and ignoring the issues and going about your daily pursuits that you've removed responsibility and accountability from you no you are not guilty for the sins of commission for the things you've willfully done acts of discipline no 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 you are guilty for the sins of omission and in the face of their arrogance and their boasting and their pursuits James reminds these merchants of a few hard truths and then I'm closing he says the first thing if you look in verse 13 and 14 he says today or tomorrow you say we will go to such and such a place and we will stay there for a year and we will go there for a profit and then he says further on he says whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life it is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away what is he saying He's, he's saying that in the face of your boasting and your pursuits you are ignorant of one thing that time is not in your hands time and space belong to God nobody knows the future nobody knows tomorrow but God and he's saying consider this consider what is your life it appears like a vapor for a little while and then vanishes so right now, in a nutshell, what James is saying, I'm going to illustrate it in this way. And I know we don't like to talk about uh, in this way, but the Bible is speaking in this tone. James is saying, turn to the person next to you. You can turn to the person next to you. Turn to your family. Turn to those you love. He's saying, you do not know whether... Look, look, them eyeball to eyeball eyeball to eyeball come on now don't be shy they are I've seen your cows there <laughs> look them eyeball to eyeball if you're not sitting with your wife shame on you <laughs> look at the person you love next to you James is saying you don't know whether they'll be around tomorrow yeah that's what he's saying He's saying, you don't know what tomorrow holds. Someone asked me the other day, how did, how did Bob Marley die? Wasn't he shot? I said, no. He died of a toe injury, developed into cancer. My goodness, a toe, a toe. There are a million ways for you to exit this life. Every day, every single day. You know what it's like driving in Joburg traffic. Anything, you know what's like drinking Joba water. Anything, anything. There's a million ways. And James is saying, wake up to this reality. There's not enough time that you assume you'll have. 
what is your life you are here for a short time span don't be so absorbed in your selfish boastful arrogant pursuits and he says time is short and you may not be here tomorrow and you won't have the chance to do something good know your planning secondly he says that when you're planning and, and, and when you have your venture set out you ought to say if the Lord wills you ought to say if the Lord wills you've got to change the way you talk now I said to, to someone the, the other day you know don't say you are a mummy and your mother wants the baby has arrived no the moment you have conceived you are a mother and the moment we change our conversation, we change the outlook on, on matters like abortion. Change the way you speak. And so he says, change your language, bridle that tongue. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, because in true sense of, of the matter, it's only if he wills. And worldliness begins to creep into our lives the moment we exclude the Lord's will and the moment we exclude him from our plans and the moment we start making him an accessory to our plans so he says worldliness and boasting and arrogance begins to settle in when we start to make plans without God the thing about the will of God is the prerequisite for knowing the will of God is being willing to do the will of God why would I tell you something that I'm expecting you to disobey so the moment you come under the light the moment you come under the Word of God you become responsible not just for knowing the truth but for applying the truth James addresses the indifferent attitude he says to him who knows how to do good and does it not to him it is sin and Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 6 he says why do you call me why do you call me Lord Lord and do not do the things that I say why do you not do the things that I say and so my final challenge to you family is that we are living in uncertain times we don't know that if tomorrow um, you know, Malema blows up the country. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Life is short, time is fleeting. People are going through the most. But live for God. Live for God. Work the faith. Bear fruit. Come on. Can't leave this in talk only. Can we walk the talk? Can we be persevering in our faith can we do this family can we put our money where our mouth is amen let's stand everybody's hands up